Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. If you've missed any part of the series, I would encourage you to catch up on it, whether through the podcast, uh, you can find that on iTunes, or through the sermon archive. Um, but you're going to miss out on some context that you need as we walk through this passage together. But we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, and it says this. It says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Je- uh, Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now this is a double meaning because literally... Paul was a prisoner at this point. He was in jail for his faith, uh, and he was writing this letter from prison in Rome. Uh, And he wrote this uh, at the same time he wrote several other letters as well. So this is the literal meaning, I'm a prisoner, but there's also this idea that when we think of a prisoner, we think of someone in jail. And what Paul's saying is, I'm laying down my own rights. Um, Because a prisoner has no real rights. And so what he's saying is, as a prisoner of Christ, I'm laying down my rights to him. All of my rights, all of my desires, all of my preferences are being laid down so that I can take up what he wants me to do even better. Um, and really, this is something as believers, uh, God calls us to do. But in Western society, we're very individualistic. So we are resistant to this idea that we lay down what we want for what someone else wants, even if it happens to be God. But what Paul says is, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I I willingly give up my rights so that I can do what he wants me to do. And then he goes on to say, on behalf of you Gentiles. Now this is not a a statement where he's blaming them or saying it's all your fault. What he's saying is, uh, I'm imprisoned for my faith, but it benefits you that I'm imprisoned. So even though I'm in prison, even though I'm locked up, um, I'm still going to use this time to bring glory to God. I'm still going to use this time to accelerate the gospel in our world. And so it's to your benefit that I'm in jail because ultimately I'm suffering for the sake of Christ. And as, as Christians, we are one in Christ together. And so Paul's saying it's for your, on your behalf. It's for your benefit that I'm suffering in jail. Uh, and again, most of us don't feel that way. When we're suffering, when things are bad in our lives, um, we're miserable, right? Everybody knows we're miserable. It's, it's just, we're in a bad place. We don't feel like taking care of other people or blessing other people. We, we just kind of shut down. And what Paul did, it was so incredible because he's in prison for his faith, and yet he moves forward and he blesses the body and he encourages. Um, and I love the fact that he didn't waste this time. So many of us, when we get into a place where we feel hopeless and desperate, we waste our time. We waste our prison time. And Paul did not waste his time in this season. Ephesians 3, 2 says this, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Um, So he, he talked about this revelation Back in Ephesians chapter 1, again, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, you can go back and catch up on that. Uh, but So that's what he's referencing at the end of that passage when he says, which I referenced briefly, or which I've written about briefly. But the beginning of this, it says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Now, when we think of the word stewardship, uh, immediately, we, a lot of times we go to money in church, because that's where we use this word a lot. Um, but I want to give you good news and bad news. Are you ready? The good news is, I'm not really going to talk about money. The bad news is God, is, God wants more than your money. <laughs> That's the bad news. 
So if you don't want to give him your money, that's okay. God wants way more than your money anyway. He wants your life. He wants everything you are. Uh, and so when we look at this word stewardship, uh, what we have to understand is the Greek word, is it, it means uh, management of a household or household affairs. But if, if you look at it more specifically, uh, it means uh, managing someone else's household or household affairs. So it's not just that I'm managing my stuff, but it's a steward is managing someone else's stuff. So um, in, in first century church, uh, there would be people who would manage other people's property or finances. Some of you, if you have a retirement fund, you might have a financial advisor who manages that for you. They are a steward. That's not their money. It is your money. They're managing it for you. Um, and I don't know about you, there, once in a while I'll borrow a car from somebody for whatever reason, and if I have to borrow somebody's car, I always want to leave it in better condition than I, I got it. So I want to make sure there's more gas in it. I want to make sure I don't leave my trash in there that's cleaned up because I want to take care of their car. Um, now, some people don't think that way, but, but, but I do. And I know some of you, you rent cars because you, you travel a lot and you fly and you're renting cars and you're like, yes, give me the insurance because I'm going to wreck this car. Like, I'm going to treat it bad. We're driving through ditches. We're doing whatever we need to do because it's not my car. But the truth is, we need to manage what's not ours even better than, what we, than how we manage the things that are ours. Um, and so what God has called us to do is be a faithful manager of all he's given us. And so yes, our finances are part of that, absolutely. But what we have to understand is everything in our lives, everything in our lives is a gift from God. Everything. So what we have to understand is that it is not ours, it is God's. So when we talk about our finances, we're not given... We're not giving our money to God. We're giving God's money back to him. Okay, now let's transition that. Now think about this. Everything in your life is God's, but he's trusting you to manage it. So that means your kids, they're not your kids. They're God's kids. He's trusting you to manage them well, though. That kind of puts some new light on how you parent your kids, too, by the way. Um, you, your marriage is not your marriage. God has given you the gift of a spouse to manage well. So don't manage it as if it's your marriage, it's God's marriage. Uh, your talents, your giftings, your, your, your strengths, all those things are God's that he has allowed you to manage. Does this make sense to anybody? And so what Paul's talking about is being a good steward of what's been given to us. And what's been given to him is God's grace. So what he says here is that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now, this is the other thing we have to understand about stewards. Um, stewards don't own their things. And so when, when God gives us something, he's not giving it to us for us. He's giving it to us for others. So when God gives us an ability or a talent or, or a, a, a gifting, what he's doing is giving it to us for the betterment of the body, for the people around us, so that he can be glorified. So we have to understand that. Even, even in the Old Testament, uh, Abraham God said, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. Uh, God didn't say, I'm going to bless you so you can be really comfortable. Or, I'm going to bless you so you can be happy. He said, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless the nations. And so when God gives us something, it's never for us. It's always for those around us so that we can be a blessing to the people around us. That's what a steward does. Now, what he says here is the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So he understands, hey, this gift that was given to me is not even for me. It's for you, which is pretty incredible. Um, I love the idea that he had this mindset that, hey, anything that comes to me is not for me. I'm just going to manage it until I can get it to who it needs to go to. And that's the way he was when it comes to 
grace. And he said, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Again, we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago, and so I won't reiterate that here. Um, we'll come back to the, the mystery in just a minute, though. In Ephesians 3, verse 4, it says this, uh, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to sons of men in their other generations, as it, as it now had been revealed to his apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what he's talking about is, in the Old Testament, people had a revelation of God, but it was different than the revelation of God we have even today. And, and in Paul, what he, he's writing this, um, he had experienced Jesus Christ. And so Jesus shed new light on all the Old Testament prophecies. So the Old Testament prophets would share what they knew, but what they knew was very limited. God did not give them the whole picture. And so now Paul's saying, hey, we know something now that they didn't know then. We're experiencing something now that they didn't experience then. Um, we're, we're able to know God now like they weren't able to know God then through Christ. And so he, what he's saying is we have an experience that's different than the experience that they had before. Uh, he goes on to say in verse 6, now listen to this, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he says here, he identifies the mystery, and he said the mystery is that, that Gentiles, non-Jewish believers, can know Christ, and they have the same rights as Jewish believers. And not even that, they have the same rights as Christ, because we said earlier, remember in Ephesians, we are co-heirs with Christ. So we are seated literally with Christ, so we have access to the same authority he has access to, which is pretty incredible. Um, there were a lot of people who believed if you weren't Jewish, you, you might go to heaven, but you'd have to sit in the bad section of heaven, you know? Um, <laughs> It had an obstructed view behind the pole. I don't know. But it just wasn't as good. And like, oh, well, if you're not Jewish, then I'm sorry. And what Paul's trying to do is cut through that. And, and uh, last week, Pastor Todd talked about how we are reconciled. We are one in the body. And this is that same kind of idea where Paul is saying, hey, you're not a lesser citizen because you didn't happen to be born Jewish. You, are, you have full rights as a child of God, um, as an heir of, of God. And so what he's trying to do is help help them see there's no dividing line anymore, that we are one, that you're not a substandard Christian because, you're, because of your, your ethnicity, because of how you were born. He goes on to say in, in verse 24, I'm sorry, let me pick this up, Colossians verse one, uh, chapter one, verse 24. Uh, Colossians and Ephesians were written about the same time. He was locked up in prison and there's similar themes and ideas and thoughts through both of these. And so there's a couple of thoughts in here that kind of parallel what we're looking at in Ephesians. Let me read this to you. Colossians 1 verse 24 says this, now rejoice in my suffering for your sake. So again, it comes back to this idea that I'm suffering, but it's for your sake. We touched on that a minute ago. And it says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is the church. So I just want to read this again to you to make sure you heard it correctly. He says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. So when we read this, the first response is to go, wait a second, that seems contradictive to what Steph said earlier, that there's nothing lacking, right? There's nothing more that's necessary. Um, but, but what Paul is saying, and this is, um, you can argue with me if you'd like, but uh, I've got the mic, so you, you won't be able to argue very loud. Um, but what Paul's saying, he's not saying that there's anything lacking in Christ's suffering. So what Christ did paid it all, that is all we need, absolutely. But what Paul's talking about is um, that let me explain it like this. It's like um, in the Old Testament, people will say things like, how could a good God command the Israelites to wipe out the Canaanites? 
And it's genocide is what they say. But what we see in the Old Testament is God continually said, um, I'm giving them chance after chance after chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. And I can keep going. And what Scripture tells us is that their cup of iniquity was full. So it was like there was this cup of, of sin, if I can say it that way, that was filled up. Every time he gave them an opportunity and they failed to take it and they continued on their path and they ignored God, uh, it just filled that cup up more and more and more until finally God goes, okay, that's enough. That's, that's enough. Uh, I've got to take action. And in this sense, in this passage of Scripture, what Paul is saying is if I can paint a picture for you like this, um, there's this, I can imagine there's this big cup and it contains all the suffering of Christians in the world. And what happened is um, all the affliction, every time Christians suffer for the sake of Christ, uh, their affliction, their suffering, their pain goes in that cup. And again, this is, this is kind of a, a broad view of this. And so again, I'm, I'm not saying I'm absolutely perfectly right. I'm just saying this is the picture that we're painting here. There's this cup of affliction. And Christ's suffering went in that cup. But, but then Paul's suffering goes in that cup. And you're suffering. And every time there's a martyr for the sake of the gospel, it goes in that cup. And there will be some day, I believe, that cup is full, and God goes, okay, enough is enough. There's been enough suffering of the saints. Um, there, there's been enough. I'm, I'm sending my son. We're returning for our people. Uh, we're going to capture our bride. And, and that is comforting to me to think there's a day that's coming that, that God's going to reconcile us back to him fully and wholly um, through the return of Christ. But what Paul's saying is not that Jesus is lacking or his suffering is lacking. What he's saying is all of this suffering goes together, uh, that, that we are one in not just the resurrection of Christ, but also in his suffering. So that's what really Paul is talking about here. So let me move on. Verse 25, he says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Again, he said, my calling is not my calling, it's God's calling on me, and I'm stewarding it well because it's not for me, it's for you. Um, Again, it's this idea that stewardship is for others. He says, to make the word of God fully known. Now listen to this, the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And then there's a comma. And so he's identifying the mystery, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, this is, this is such a beautiful picture. Now, earlier he said the mystery was that, um, that we, Gentiles have access to Christ. But truly, at the end of the day, the mystery is that God would allow his son. No, that God would allow human beings to be the dwelling place of his son, his holy, righteous son. That God would send a perfect son to die for us so that he can have a relationship with us. Now, again, that is a mystery to me. Let's, let's be honest. Um, you know what you're like, right? <laughs> I know what I'm like. I know what kind of thoughts go through my head sometimes. I know how I respond sometimes. I know that I'm not perfect. And yet, God loves me so much he wants to have a relationship with me. That is a mystery. I don't understand that. I don't even understand how my wife loves me, let alone the God of the universe, right? It's crazy. And what we see here is that we can't truly understand it. This is where, you know, there's, a, there's this idea in movies that you suspend disbelief. Because I like sci-fi and things like that. And my wife, she'll watch Hallmark movies. And it, like she'll be watching a Hallmark movie and I'll be like, oh my gosh, like that's even possible. And she'll be like, Star Wars. Like, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this idea that you suspend disbelief that you just go, eh, I'm just gonna 
turn off my brain at that point. And there's this idea that when it comes to the mystery of Christ, we never stop engaging Christ. We never stop pursuing Christ. But at some point, we just don't understand it. So we go, okay, you know what? Um, I'm not going to kill myself trying to figure this out. I'm just going to trust him. It's a mystery. And I love the fact that we'll never fully be able to grasp it. We'll never fully be able to understand what he's doing and what he wants to do. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, let me back to the passage. It says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Again, he comes coming back to this idea that um, what I have is a gift from God. Um, so even his calling, his ministry, and even the word minister here, when we think of the word minister, most of the time we think of a pastor who stands up front and you know, uh, does communion or whatever it might be. That's what we think of as a minister. Uh, but the actual Greek word here for minister, it actually means one who executes the commands of another, um, especially of a master. And more specifically, it means the servant of a king. And so when Paul said, I'm a minister, he wasn't saying like, yes, I'm a pastor. You all don't touch the God's anointed, you know, back off. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, hey, you know what? I'm a minister. I only do what the master, what my king tells me to do. But this is how it should be for every believer. That, that we do exactly what the king is telling us to do. We don't do anything more. We don't do anything less. But we follow his instructions to the T. Whatever he says for us to do, we're going to do it. We're going to fulfill his his decree, his, his requirement for us, and we're going to do it really well. And that is much easier said than done. But Paul declares this. I was made a minister according to the gift of grace. So he says, I'm a minister, I'm a servant to the king, but it's only because it's a gift that I get to do this. Sometimes we think God, we're doing God a favor when we show up to church. I mean, let's be honest. I'm even going to put some money in. Now he owes me big time, right? <laughs> God, you're lucky to have me on your team. That's what we think sometimes. But Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I'm in prison, and it's a gift that I get to do this, that I get to be a servant for the king. It is a gift of grace that I get to enjoy this. It's incredible to me. Verse 8 says this, To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So I want us to look at a couple things here. He says, I'm the very least of all the saints. Did I mention to you that he wrote a good portion of the New Testament? But here's a man who said, I am just a servant of the king. Who am I? And we don't see this explicitly, but you have, to, you have to think, Paul probably remembered his background. Because for those of you that are new to church, or, or maybe, maybe you're not even a believer, you're just here today, that's awesome. I'm so glad you're here. The Apostle Paul was a guy that before he was a Christian, he was a Jewish religious leader. And he was so adamantly opposed to Christians that he actually would hunt them down and have them murdered. And you know that this had to stick with him that he had to remember his past. But yet he said, in spite of my past, I, I'm the least of all saints. Who am I? Because of what I've done and what I've been through. But then he also recognized that he had a calling that was unique to him on his life to do what God has called him to do. He had this gift of grace to be a minister. And he said, I'm not gonna let my past keep me from what my future holds for me. And so many times in our lives, we get stuck on our past. We remember what we did, or maybe the enemy whispers in our ears, oh, you can never be a minister. You can never witness to your coworker. You could never be a light in your workplace. Because you remember, you did this. 
You remember you were a part of that. Do you remember what you did this morning? And we immediately go, oh, yeah, that's who I am. And God goes, no, 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 that's not who you are. I've got a call on you. There's a gift of grace on your life. How are you going to steward that? Because it's not for you. It's for those around you. He says, I'm the very least of all the saints. Then it goes on to say um, that he was given this gift of grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone. Say, for everyone. Now, they don't delineate. They don't say everyone except for, right? They don't say everyone except for the women. Everyone except for the unattractive. Everyone except for the ethnic class that doesn't meet up with ours, right? They said everyone, and I love this. I love this. Um, Because God does not discriminate at all. He is not biased at all. He doesn't see uh, what kind of car you drive. He doesn't see what kind of house you live in. None of that stuff is impressive to God. What he sees is your heart. God, that's why God will call people that we think are losers. I mean, honestly, look at scripture. You think that was a group of 18 varsity players? I don't think so. (laughs) That's why when Jesus rolled into town with his disciples, people mocked them. They're like, who are these guys? But that should be comforting to us. I love you guys deeply and dearly. But look at us. <laughs> you don't think God can use ragtag B-teamers? Hello? <laughs> Thank God that his calling isn't dependent on our status in this world. Everyone has access. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I told our earlier service, that's why we had church today. In, in, in the dark, is because my first inclination was to go, oh, can we even have church today? Yeah, we're having church. Because somebody's going to show up that needs Jesus. Because he's for everyone. Are we going to do communion today? Absolutely, because we're going to glorify God, even if it's in the dark and we've got to scream at people during communion. We're going to do it, right? Because it's for everyone. We're not going to hold back. We Facebooked live the first service from an iPhone on the front row. So if you want to watch the service, it's available on our Facebook page. We Facebooked live it in the dark. Why? Because what if one person was watching that normally wouldn't watch? What if one person heard the gospel and they responded to it? Because everyone is worth it. He goes on to say, so that the church... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That through the church. Um, now this is the thing. If, uh, if we went home today and we all went back to our houses and tomorrow morning you woke up and you read the news that Summit Church burned to the ground, that'd be tragic. I, I would be heartbroken. I would be so sad. But do you know we would be just fine because the church didn't burn to the ground. A building would have burned to the ground. The church is just fine because the church is not a facility. The church is you and I. Uh, There are churches that are meeting all across America today uh, in bars, in theaters, uh, in borrowed spaces, in coffee shops. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't care about the building. He cares about the vessels, and we are the vessels of the Holy Spirit. Um, So... So I love this so much whenever, whenever Paul says, so that through the church, the wisdom of God might be made known. 
That God wants to use us as his bride, as the church, to make his wisdom known to the world. And it's interesting because it says the manifold wisdom. And this word manifold here, um, it, it, it's trying to paint a picture of if you saw a portrait in a gallery and um, the most colorful portrait you'd ever seen, uh, there are people who will go and look at the same painting for hours at a time. And they will stare at a painting and they'll take a step and they'll move aside and they will be able to stare at this painting because they'll see all the different aspects, all the different brushstrokes, all the different things that make this painting beautiful. And this word manifold here, it's helping us see that this is what the wisdom of God is like. It's so vast and so beautiful and so intricate that we could gaze at it and never, ever, ever see the complete whole picture. Uh, it's almost like a, a gem. If you had a large gemstone and it had all the different aspects and all the different facets cut into it and you could hold it to the light and the, the, the color would just shine out of it because you're seeing it differently. And this is what this word manifold is describing about the wisdom of God. It is so vast and so beautiful that, that we'll never fully know what it's all about. But what God does is he chooses to use you and I as the church, not this building, not the corporate entity of Summit Church, but the church, you and I, to reveal his manifold wisdom to the world. And not just to the world. Did you see in this verse who's gonna, who's gonna get a glimpse of his wisdom? It says at the end of the passage, might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, if you're new to church, I don't want to blow your mind or, or mess you up or be weird, but um, this world that we live in is not the real world. Uh, scripture tells us that we are spiritual beings and we just happen to have a body, okay? So there's a spiritual realm, a heavenly realm we don't even see, that there are very real things going on in the heavenly realm. There are activities happening right now in the heavenly realm. Uh, we don't have any problem believing that there are signals flying all over this room that make it possible for me to go to the internet or make it possible for me to listen to a radio station. And they're unseen. But there's an unseen world where there's angels and demons and spiritual things at work. Um, and, and this is the thing. They are created beings, but they are created in a way that they don't understand God's redemptive story for humanity. So when you and I, as the church, as the bride of Christ, walk in our calling, the gift of grace that God has given us, and we steward it well, and we are a revelation of God's redemptive power to the people around us, what this passage is telling me is that we're delivering wisdom, the wisdom of God, to angelic authority that they're learning about God through how we live our lives. Let me read this passage to you. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this. This is Peter talking to the church. He says, It was revealed to them, he's talking about Old Testament prophets, that they were not, uh, that they were, let me go back, serving not themselves but you in the things that you have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So what he's saying here is that these Old Testament prophets understood that their prophecy wasn't even for them, it was for another generation. It was for someone yet to come. They understood what church is really about, that it's not just about us, it's about those who are not yet here. Um, that's why building a $4 million youth and kids facility might seem extravagant to some people, but it's important for us because it's not for us, it's for future generations. Am I going to benefit from it? Mm, not exactly. But my kids will, and hopefully my grandkids will, and hopefully future generations are impacted because we're doing something. And that's what the prophets understood. Hey, this isn't for us. This is for future generations. But then it comes back, and it says um, they're proclaiming the good news from the Holy Spirit. And then it says this at the end, 
things into which angels long to look. So what you have to understand is this. When we flow in our giftings, when we flow in, um, in, in the stewardship of this mystery that we've been given, when we uh, extend grace, when we are revelation to the people around us of God's redemptive power, heaven takes notice. You might think you don't matter. You might think no one notices you or sees you. But, but when, you, when you're a steward of the king, heaven notices. Heaven pays attention to your story. They, they're interested in what God's doing in your life. I'm telling you today, what we do in this world matters. And not just in what's seen and what's unseen, what's yet to come. It matters. Verse 11 says this. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Um, I know there's people in this room you don't have a good relationship with your father. Um, maybe, maybe your father's passed away. Uh, maybe you just aren't in relationship with your father for whatever reason. Uh, but I'm very blessed. I have a great relationship with my dad. My dad is a great friend and... Um, and, and it's, they live in Oklahoma City, so I'll, I'll go to see them from time to time. And when I go back, uh, I'm not Pastor Mel, I'm just their son. And so when I get there, I don't ever have to say, uh, excuse me, parents, um, if you would be okay with this, I would like to get a glass of milk. <laughs> if you would be so good as to allow me to have a glass of milk, I would be forever grateful. You know what I do? I go get a glass of milk. I don't ask them. I'll just get a glass of milk. Um, if, if I need something for my father, I don't go to my father and say, Father, oh, benevolent father. <laughs> you have been eternally good for, to me, and I am forever grateful. Yet I ask, I beseech you today, like, right? Go, Dad, can you help me with this? And in fact, I, I still call my dad Daddy sometimes. Daddy, hey, I need your help, right? And I, I never have to apologize. I don't have to make an appointment. I don't have to... Why? Because I have access. I can, I can walk in boldly and have a conversation with my parents because I have access, because I'm, I'm their son. And this is what we have to understand, that through faith in Christ, we have access to our Heavenly Father. We don't have to beg Him. We don't have to plead with Him. We don't have to say the right words. We can walk in boldly and say, hey, this is what I need. Can you help me? Now, sometimes God is silent, but his silence still has meaning. But our, our God always responds because he's a good father. But sometimes we approach God with our hat in our hand and we go, well, shoot God, I you know, I'm not anybody and who am I? And I know you wouldn't and I guess if it's your will, maybe you can. And No. We go to God and we say, God, you know what? Um, we need financial provision. We need your help. God, I've got a child that's far from you. I need you to show up. God, I need your help. And we pray with boldness. We pray with authority because we have access. Remember, remember, just like two weeks ago, we talked about being co-heirs with Christ, seated with Christ with the same authority as Christ. And if we have the authority of Christ, why are we praying these, these wimpy, mamby-bamby prayers that we've been praying? We pray with authority and boldness because we have access to God because he is our Father. 
access through faith in him. Verse 13 says this, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So he says, hey, don't get discouraged because I'm in prison, because it's for your glory. And the word glory there, it's a Greek word, it's doxa. And um, what it means is not just not what we think of necessarily of glory, because it's such a churchy phrase sometimes, but glory here, um, it, well, in fact, in the, old, in the New Testament, it's used lots of different ways throughout Scripture, but in the New Testament, it's used one way. And, and this is the meaning in the New Testament. It's, um, it's that a, a good opinion is formed concerning an individual. So people look at someone favorably, and it results in praise and honor and glory. So what Paul is saying here in a very real way is that, um, hey, I'm in prison, but it's for your glory. So what he's saying is, I'm going to suffer really well, and I'm suffering for sure. This is painful for sure, but I'm going to suffer well because the jailers are going to see how I suffer and it's going to form a good opinion of me. They're going to see me and they're going to give glory to God. The people I'm suffering with, they're going to see how I suffer and it's going to form a good opinion and it's going to bring glory to God. Um, and it's not just for me and it's not just for God because you share the name Christian. You, we are one. Remember, we keep saying this. We are one in the body with Christ. So if, if Christ is glorified, you're glorified. If a good opinion is formed of me, it brings glory to you. So guess what? I'm going to suffer well, but the church is going to be glorified for it. The body of Christ is going to be glorified because that's how we suffer. That's how we're going to endure hardship and pain. So Paul says, hey, don't lose heart. Yeah, I'm, I'm in prison, but it's for your glory. God's going to get the praise out of this, so don't you worry about me. What an incredible way to suffer. I, I wish I suffered that well. I really do. But I'm not there yet. The question for you guys today is this. How, how well are you stewarding what God has given you? And, and not even your finances. Everything else. How are you stewarding your family? How are you stewarding the talents and the giftings God has given you? How are you stewarding your relationships? How are you stewarding the mysteries of the gospel that God has deposited in you? Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you follow him, if you've confessed him as Lord, then what you have to understand is this grace has been given to you, but it's not even for you. It's for others. And as stewards, we understand that. We say, I'm going to receive this, but this isn't even mine. I'm going to I'm going to handle this. I'm going to manage this gift. I'm going to manage this gift of grace in the way that the master, the king, wants me to manage this. And you know what I know about our king? He doesn't want you to sit on it. He wants you to share it with the people around you. Um, 1 Corinthians, this is my last passage. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 and 2 says this. This is how one should regard us. So Paul is telling the Corinthian church, this is how we should be known by the world. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of, the gospel, of God, moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. This is how we should be known. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So again, my question is, how are you fulfilling that mandate to be a servant of Christ and a steward of the mystery of God? Because it's not something God requires of us, it's something he's inviting us into. God is inviting us to be part of his story of redemption for Indiana, for Indiana County, for Western Pennsylvania, for the world. And it's not a responsibility we have, it's an opportunity we have. What an incredible opportunity 
we have that the God of the universe would look at you and look at me and invite us to be part of his plan. How are you stewarding what God has given you? Let's pray together. God, we love you so much, and um, we're continually in awe of your goodness and your grace and your love. And God, I don't understand why you love me the way you do. I don't understand why you would choose to use someone like me uh, who's deeply flawed. Lord, you, you love people so much you will, though. God, I, I'm so grateful and I'm so appreciative that you would invite us to be part of your plan, that you would allow us to be part of the redemption story for this area of the world. And God, I pray that we would not take that lightly. Lord, as you've invited us in, God, let us boldly take those steps to be a part of that, to be a steward of the mystery of God. I pray that, um, that we would not just say a prayer and go to heaven and go about our business, but God, I pray that we would feel deeply in our souls what it means to be a steward of the mysteries. God, let us carry that with us. Let us influence the world and the people we come into contact with, God. I pray that our faith would not be our faith, but God, I pray that we would steward what you've given us well. And it's not for us, but it's for those around us. It's for those who have yet to believe and those who have yet to know you. So God, I pray that you would let us live with that tension in our lives and that awareness that there's more that you're inviting us into. So God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit begin to convict us of the areas of our life that maybe we're not stewarding well. Maybe it's relationships or friendships. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our time or our talent or our finances. Whatever it may be, God, I pray that we would endeavor to steward every gift you've given us well, that you would receive glory. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you, if you're here today and you said, Mel, you know what? I'm, I'm not really even following Christ. I'm not even really in relationship with him. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you've been to church a thousand times, but the truth is today you know you're not in relationship with him and you want to get things right with God. I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come forward. I want to pray with you right where you're at because God is here and he wants to reveal these mysteries to you. If you don't, you're, you don't walk with him, that's okay. We love you. We're for you. We're excited about what he's doing in this place. And so if you're here today and you say, Mel, pray with me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. Would you be bold enough to put your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Is there any? You'd say, Mel, pray for me. Thank you, sir. Over here on my left. Praise God. Who else? Thank you. I see you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these? Thank you. Over here on my left, I see you. Praise God. All right. I'd like every person in this room, whether you raised your hand or not, just to pray this simple prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me even when I didn't deserve it. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and help me never go back to my old ways or my old life. Today, I am yours. And today, you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give God a round of applause this morning? Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, um, Scripture tells us that today they're, they're literally throwing a party for you in heaven. That's pretty cool. Uh, I'm excited for what God's doing in your life. I'm so glad that we get to be a little part of it. But we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And the best way to do that is by simply filling this card out. 
On one side, it's in the seat back in front of you. On one side, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. So if you pray today to make Jesus Lord of your life, please take a moment and fill this card out. And you can drop it in our offering boxes as you leave today. There's two in the back of the room, one in the balcony, and one just outside these east doors. But just slip it in there. And the next day or two, one of our team is gonna reach out to you and help you take the next step. We're gonna resource you, help you get in a relationship, and help you grow in your faith. If you're watching online, or maybe you're sitting in the room and you can't reach a card, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're gonna respond back to you and help you take the next step in your faith journey as well. Uh, here's what's gonna happen right now, guys. Our worship team is gonna lead us in one final song. And as they do, our prayer team is gonna make their way out to the front of this room on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer for any reason at all today, as we begin to sing, please feel free to step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members, and let them agree with you in prayer. We believe that prayer changes things. And uh, when we agree in prayer, there's something powerful about people being in agreement. And so we would love to agree with you about your situation, no matter what it may be. And uh, then in just a moment, we're gonna finish singing and Pastor Ricky is gonna come up and he'll close us out. So again, thank you for being here today. Thank you for worshiping with us. Stand to your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time before we go, guys. I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys.